All right, well, go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. My name's Clint. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Village, and it's good to be uh, able to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, earlier this summer, uh, I had talked a little bit about the reality that Jesus, uh, when we come to Jesus, when we become Christians, uh, he liberates us. He frees us from the bondage of sin. And he doesn't free us just to go and do whatever we want, but rather he frees us to serve him. He frees us to love him, to worship him, uh, and then to love others, to love our brothers and sisters and our fellow man. And so the reality is we are to live as his people. We are to live as salt and light in a culture uh, that isn't. And we are to do that primarily through word and deed, through word and deed. And these things, word and deed, that is, aren't really supposed to be separated. There's not supposed to be a hard line between them, but rather uh, they should be fluent. It should be natural. We should be uh, doing good deeds or doing good works. We should be zealous for those things. We should actually be caring for people. We should actually be serving people as we talked about it. We should actually be being generous to people as we imitate God and being his hospitable to folks. We ought to be doing those things. And if we are doing those things, then we will get chances to do the second part of that, which is declaring the good news, talking about Jesus with people. And so that is uh, the mission that Jesus gives us. Now, when it comes to sharing the gospel, I hope you're already uh, at the place where you want to do that. In fact, if you're a Christian and you don't want to share the gospel with people, that's kind of hard. Uh, it's kind of hard to understand because if you become a Christian uh, and you are reconciled to God, you have the life of Christ in you, well then I think it ought to be uh, pretty assumable, pretty uh, matter of fact that we want others to then hear that good news and also become Christians. Now, that can be a nerve-wracking thing. I'm not going to pretend like uh, that isn't nerve-wracking at times. Like sometimes we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes God may open doors for us to open our mouths and we kind of um, shy back a little bit. Uh, it, it might be embarrassing. We, we, we know that the, the work of the cross is folly, right, to the unbelievers. And so sometimes we, we don't want to identify with Jesus. Sometimes we shy back. But the reality is, friend, gospel, the gospel, the good news of Christ's uh, life, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection, and of his ascension, friends, that is the news that people need to hear. And it's a big deal. There, there's no bigger event in human history than the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. God designed it that way. It is that. It was quite a thing. And he doesn't aim to keep it silent. He doesn't aim to keep it silent. In fact, in order to accomplish his purpose of saving a people for himself, that news must not stop with us, but rather it must go forward to other folks. And so in Romans 10, Paul is really frank in just understanding. He wants us to understand if, if everyone in the world is supposed to call on Jesus for salvation, well, then somebody's going to have to go tell him. And it's really as simple as that. That, that. That's not going to happen unless somebody goes and does it. And so, friends, that news, that news is the world that I would say 
Number one, the world's always needed it. But number two, the present world needs it. The present world needs it. We may think that the present world needs a lot of other news and they need a lot of things and they do. However, the gospel must be the thing that we are eager to deliver. Short of that, it doesn't matter. Short of that, it really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. So in Acts 26, 17 through 18, we want to look at uh, Paul and what he says there. And uh, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter of Acts 26 at some point. It's Paul uh, before King Agrippa. He's been uh, called in, so to speak. The Jews uh, are upset that he's been preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And so uh, they want to put a stop to that, which, by the way, Paul was one day right there with them trying to put a stop to people talking about the, uh, the news of Jesus and, and the resurrection. And so they're trying to get Rome to shut them down. And so Paul's in chains. He's arrested. And uh, King Agrippa, uh, who is to some degree familiar with the controversies of the Jews. Again, Paul wasn't breaking laws. Uh, this was a religious matter. But he agrees to hear this. And so Paul gets this opportunity uh, before a king to not just defend what he had been up to, which was just following Jesus's orders, uh, but he gets to proclaim this good news uh, to him. And so in the middle of that, we pick up in 17. This is Jesus, his mission. Uh, he's describing, or uh, Paul's describing what Jesus had told him in 17. It says, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. So Paul's going to be delivered. God's going to uh, supernaturally deliver him uh, from folks, from the situations like he finds himself in, to whom I am sending you. And then in verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So verse 18 summarizes two things there. Uh, one, it's a great summary of God's work in the gospel. Uh, in fact, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here in the, the, this room this morning and you've just read that text, you get it. You're like, yeah, God, God opened my eyes, right? God opened my eyes. He took me from darkness to light. He took me from the power of Satan to the power of God. He's forgiven my sin. And then he's also reconciled me to him and his people. We get it. That's, it's a beautiful summary of the gospel. But then number two, I would say it's also marching orders. It's what he tells Paul to go and do. Now, we can't do the gospel. However, there's, it's undeniable here that Paul is instructed to go and do this. He's told to go and open the eyes of the people. He, he's, he's going to go and do that. And so as Paul and ultimately as each Christian, we are called to go and do this. So the reality is you might be sitting here and say, well, that's all well and good, but only God can open the eyes of the blind. Only God can turn a man from darkness to light. And of course, you're right. Only God can do that. But here, <laughs> don't miss it. He tells Paul to go and do it. He, he tells us uh, through Paul as we imitate Paul, 
and as we are Christians, to go and do it. And so this can be a whole complicated thing, but it's really pretty simple. God is going to save people uh, through the, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he's going to do it, and he's chosen to do it through instruments, his people, and them proclaiming the gospel and the power of the Spirit, quickening people to life and life-saving faith in Jesus. That is his plan, and that is what is going to happen. And so uh, I kind of just want to remind us of that this morning and focus us in on it. Uh, I think it does help to know, number one, and we, we should all know this to some degree when you just think about what your tasks are. We, we want to know, it's important for us to know what is our job. What, what is the work that we are called to do? But then also, how do we do it? You have to know what you're called to do, and then you also have to know how to do it. And so uh, while that would require far more than one sermon, I do hope that we can uh, be encouraged, exhorted to go and take the good news of Jesus to folks and maybe equipped a little bit more than we were to do it. I do want to say, I was reading Macon's uh, Christianity and Liberalism uh, the other day, and in there he talked about this reality of taking the gospel to people, and he called it a, quote, terrible responsibility, a terrible responsibility. And he doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but rather it's weighty. It's weighty. And I think sometimes we can, if we've been Christians for a while, we can, we can forget that. We, this is a huge responsibility. The souls of men hang in stake. And yes, God will not miss any of his people. He will save all of his people. But friends, the reality is we ought to take it seriously. What else is more important than sharing the gospel with people? What else matters as much? And we ought to not shy away from that, but understanding that God does save, we ought to embrace it. Friends, he's promised to empower us to do that. Well, number one this morning, only the gospel opens eyes. Only the gospel opens eyes. Now, uh, Paul is sent to do something. There's a lot of things in this verse. But the first thing that has to happen in order for all those good things to happen uh, is that people need to open their eyes. People need to open their eyes. Now, if you think about this on a real basic level for a moment, um, you know, what good is light to somebody who's blind, right? If your eyes were taped shut, if you're not blind, and you can see, if your eyes were taped shut, what, what good would light be to you, right? Uh, there is a progression of things in general uh, when people come to faith, and one of those things is we need eyes to see, right? The Bible talks about that sort of language quite often. Jesus gives us eyes to see, ears to hear, uh, but friends, we have to have our eyes opened in order for light to be uh, something that we want to run to. If you think about it in the garden, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and when they sinned, when they disobeyed God, it says that their eyes were opened, not in a good way, <laughs> not in a good way. They're actually, uh, their eyes were opened. They became spiritually blind. They realized that they had rebelled against their good God and that they had broken fellowship, not with an equal, but with their very creator, the one who held all authority over them. Now, friends, men now in the sinful state don't really like light, right? When light comes, they flee to the darkness because our deeds are 
evil. And so natural man doesn't want light, and that's a big problem, and it's not one, frankly, that we can fix, but it is one that God can fix, and he promised to do it in Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. There it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, a light for the nations, that's all of them, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Not only will Jesus be a light for the nations, but he will open the eyes of the blind and he will bring out the prisoners of the dungeon, the dungeon of enslavement to sin, the, du- judge, the dungeon of condemnation. Only God can do that. But from our vantage point, people, in order to move from unbelievers to believers, have to have their eyes open, and God does use us to help them do it. Jim Wilson writes this about opening eyes. He says, the things which open a person's eyes are living a godly life in front of them, loving people, saying things that cause them to wonder or want, and giving your testimony. Now, again, there's no gospel really in there. In, in that quote, but the things that open people's eyes to their need for the gospel often are a faithful Christian life lived as salt and light. The things that we can do are to talk about our actual Christian life. Uh, I think sometimes we've gotten a kind of a, a message that has been, hey, your testimony isn't the gospel. And so somehow I think that's caused us maybe to not talk about our testimony at all. It isn't the gospel, but we ought to talk about what God's done in our life. We ought to witness to people that, hey, God changed my life when I became a Christian. Like, that's a good thing to talk to people about. Now, in John 4, we see this reality that there are, uh, you know, stages in the conversion process, and they're visible, and so we want to help people uh, open their eyes. John 4, 3, 7 Uh, rather 37 to 38 says this for here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps I sent you this is Jesus talking to his disciples at this person at this point uh, sent you to reap that which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor this is the scene of course at Jesus at with the woman of the well in Samaria, and he has, uh, in fact, opened her eyes to who she, to who rather he is, and he's also opened her eyes to her sin. And she has uh, recognized him as the Messiah, and she's gone, and she's told everybody, and they're all coming out. And the reality is, a lot of the folks uh, that day uh, came to faith in Jesus, but uh, Jesus tells his disciples, Look, um, other folks have labored for this. Well, friends, often when people come to faith, uh, God's used a number of events in their life. He's used a number of people in that person's life in order to lead up to that time of harvest uh, where somebody actually becomes a Christian. And so to keep with the agrarian or the farming imagery there, friends, we need to realize that uh, we, we have opportunities sometimes to help folks open their eyes. We don't necessarily have the opportunity to give them light all at one shot. Now, sometimes we do. And friend, we ought to try to. Every moment, every chance we get, we ought to give as much gospel, as much good news as possible. But I do want to free some of you up in some way to say it's okay to just plant a seed sometimes. 
it's okay to just help somebody realize that maybe they're not right with God. Maybe they're in the dungeon of sin. Maybe they need deliverance. And friend, if you do that today, or if you do that that day, maybe sometime down the road, they'll be ready for harvest. They'll be ready to come to faith. We need to realize that God does save folks and we don't. And so we need to take the opportunity to do whatever we can. Now, opening a person's eyes, like I said, maybe things like talking about the bad news, <laughs> talking about the bad news. The gospel is always uh, bad news before it's good news. And in that way, it's really not bad news. It's just opening people's eyes to the reality. It's, it's, it's the good news is that there, it's not just bad news. There's good news. We are to herald the good news. Now, uh, you can always talk to people. You can ask them questions about God. You can talk about, uh, your experience as a Christian. You can talk about what it means to be a Christian. I think sometimes with people who claim to be Christians and there still are a bunch in, I think our culture that claim to be Christians, maybe some are your neighbors, family members, coworkers, but the fruit of their life doesn't show that. Friends, ask them questions about their spiritual life. Ask them questions about how they're in God's word or not in God's word. Ask them questions about going to church if they're somebody who doesn't go to church but is claiming to be a Christian. Friends, in Acts 17, we see Paul trying to open the eyes of the Athenians. Uh, here, get this, and I think we ought to learn quite a bit from Paul here. Uh, he's in Athens, and uh, it's in Greece, and he's in this city, and he sees all sorts of idols around. And it says that the text tells us his spirit is provoked. In other words, uh, he sees the idols, and uh, he's angered by it. Uh, the same way, in a similar way that God is angered when people worship idols, because only he's worthy of worship. You should not, shall not worship any other gods. Uh, but Paul realizes this and Paul doesn't just be like, man, this is bad. No, Paul goes to the synagogue. He goes to reason with people. He goes to explain and argue his way uh, using the scriptures that Jesus, uh, through his death and resurrection, is the hope that the world needs. He goes and do, does that. And so um, here we see Paul giving his defense uh, after some folks there wanted to hear more of his, quote, babbling. Uh, here's what he says. It's a little bit better than Babel. Uh, 17, 22 through 29 there, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that he, <clears throat> they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of you, your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. 
friends, Paul uh, stands and he unpacks the truth of who God actually is. Notice the reason that they wanted him to come and defend uh, what he was saying was they were interested in Jesus and the resurrection. But notice that Paul first is unpacking what? He says, you, you guys need to understand who the true God is, the living God, the creator God, the reigning God, the sovereign God. You need to know who he is before we start to talk about the resurrection. And so Paul wants to bring them into uh, the, the framework. Now, one thing we've got to be, uh, one, we can learn a ton from this, and we don't have time for all of it. But one thing that we can learn from this is that, friend, as a Christian, this does necessarily mean in a pluralistic culture, you will have to make it known that idols are idols. They're not just options. They're not just uh, ideas. They're not just things that don't have consequences, but rather uh, pluralism is simply idolatry. <laughs> That's what it is. And we need to make it known to worship idols is to miss salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that's a big deal. And so Paul wants them to understand, he uses the point of contact, the unknown God, who God is. And there in the text, we see him, a couple of the things he mentions, a couple of the things that he wants us to understand about God before he knows they can understand Jesus is he needs them to know that God's the creator and the judge of everyone, that he's transcendent, self-sufficient. He doesn't need man. He is sovereign over history. He moves everything where he wants. History's not just drifting. It's not just circular, but rather God in his sovereignty has created it. And he's taking it somewhere. And man needs to understand that. He's transcendent, so he's above everybody. He's above the creation. He's outside of the tr creation, but he's also personal and can be known. Friends, opening here for Paul is telling them about God and his relationship with mankind. In all that, I think it's important to recognize he's not being arrogant. I don't think he's being disrespectful. Of course, we weren't there. But friend, he's proclaiming the truth about God. He's proclaiming the truth about God. And he says all this before getting to Jesus. So friends, sometimes opening eyes can be talking about God. Friends, if you talk to people about God, you will come to understand that most people, most people can't imagine a God different than themselves. They can't imagine a God any different than what they've created in their mind, what they've ultimately fashioned after their own broken image of God. Think about that. We're to image forth God, but man in his sin is imaging forth a false God. And so we understand uh, that we need to correct people. And, and, and if you talk about people and you're respectful or talk with people and you're respectful with folks and you ask questions, you'll find that most people will admit they don't know a whole lot. <laughs> the question is, are we going to let them get away with it? Or are we just going to have an honest conversation with them? And we can do that well. Number two this morning, only the gospel converts. Only the gospel converts. Uh, Paul is to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Um, friend, one thing that's impossible to miss here, and, and it is clear that Paul, in front of, both in front of Agrippa and in Athens, he's defending the faith. That's what he's doing. But don't miss, friends, <laughs> he has much more intention than defending the faith. He wants to persuade these people to become Christians. That's the audaciousness, right? 
He is audacious. He wants people to become Christians. He doesn't care what the culture thinks. He wants them to become Christians. Uh, look in Acts 26, 27 through um, 29, I believe here. It says, King Agrippa, this is Paul talking. Do you believe the prophets? Look at Paul's boldness there. Do you believe the prophets? He says, I know that you believe. King Agrippa was familiar with the Jewish scriptures. He was familiar with those things, the promises. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as I am, except for these chains. Friends, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't want everyone else to be a Christian. I hope that we get that. I hope that we want that. I hope that we share Paul's vision of that. I hope that that's our hearts. Friends, we need to want others to be Christians. We should want our town to be full of Christians, our county to be full of Christians, our state to be full of Christians, our nation to be full of Christians. We ought to want that. Why wouldn't we? Friend, if you're a Christian, I think we get that. But if that is our goal, then, friend, we must proclaim the gospel. If your goal is to convert people, then what tool do you need? You need the gospel. That's what you need. Look in Romans 1, 16 through 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Friends, did you see that? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes preaching the gospel and the power of the spirit at work on the heart of men, friends, is what affects faith. That's how people come to faith. But it only happens through the proclamation of the gospel. No one will come to the faith short of the proclamation of the gospel. Friends, we need to understand that this needs to be our goal. And if it is our goal, then we will need the gospel. So when we think about it, and I want to encourage us here, uh, we, we do want to war against obvious evil in the culture. We do need to call sin, sin. We do need to call out and condemn the sin of the culture, and especially the egregious ones. We need to be that voice. We need to be salt and light to a rotting culture. But friends, we don't want that to be where it ends. We want people to come to Jesus. We want people to repent of their sin. We're not like folks who have no category of forgiveness at all. We're folks who know that before a righteous judge, we actually stand judged and guilty and we need forgiveness as do they. Friends, that's part of the glory of the gospel. Now, to turn people from light to darkness then, uh, to get people under the conviction of sin, we've got to talk about them. And so in Acts 17, Paul is showing them not only who God is, but he also aims then to show them who they are. Friends, in order for man, in order for man in this world under this sun to really know who he is, he must encounter God. He must see who God is. He must see who God is. That's what Calvin teaches. That's what we see in the scripture. Isaiah doesn't understand who he really is until he what? Walks into the presence of God. Friend, then a man knows <laughs> who he is. And it's a terrifying thing if there's no Jesus. 
Now, unless we understand that we are created humans, created humans in the image of God, created to serve God, to represent him, not under our own authority, but under his authority, well, friends, we will be a culture of people who try to create our own gods and ultimately who try to be God. We will create our own standards. We will create our own salvation and we will be the judges of it. Friends, that's not the world that we live in, though. Paul makes that clear uh, as he goes on in Acts 17. He says in verse 30, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, Jesus is the judge. God will judge this world. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. And he is the judge. And he will judge it by God's standards. The Athenians were accountable to God. They were accountable to God. And they were accountable to breaking his law. Now, by making God known to them, Paul, again, was trying to help them see that they needed to what? They needed to change. <laughs> they needed to stop what they were doing and turn from it and turn to worshiping the living God. This is what happened in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 to 5, and then verse 9, Paul writes this. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Then verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we have had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What, what, what happens when men turn from darkness to light? They cease worshiping idols. They cease worshiping themselves. They cease worshiping the creation and they turn to the real God. Friends, we are all worshipers. We must worship the true God. Now, on our part, we do need to show that God is holy, just and loving and loving that's a thing, but don't just say God's loving. That's part of the issue that a lot of us have in sharing uh, the gospel with other people is we, we give half-truths. So we say, or you'll hear folks say, God loves you, uh, but they neglect the whole reality that he's also holy, <laughs> that he's righteous and just, and that you're not. And so that's an issue. Uh, we have to give the whole picture of God. Now, I think it's necessary then that uh, we need to show that we have fallen short of God's standard. The law then is the guide to Christ. The law of God is perfect. It's righteous. If, if Honestly, if everybody followed it, the world would be great. <laughs> it's perfect. But friends, we, we aren't a people in sin who can actually live that out. And so we fall short. But friends, the gospel needs to be... Um, needs to be prefaced with the law. It does need to show us that, look, we don't set the standard. God sets the standard. We're not our own judge. He's our judge. It silences our inner lawyer. We are always maneuvering to get out of the law. But friends, the law of God exposes us and for good. Friends, we have sinned against our good king. We haven't just messed up a little. Some people talk about sin as just missing the mark, and it is that. But friends, it's more than that. It's that we haven't even really been aiming at the mark. <laughs> 
Friends, we've straight up rebelled against God. Uh, He's on his throne and he's there before us and he has all authority and right over us. And we're acting like he's not even there. Friends, we want to sit on the throne. And so I think it's Francis Schaeffer who at one point talked about when it comes to uh, giving the gospel to people, when it comes to turning them from light or rather darkness to light, he would spend about, if he had an hour, he would spend about 50 minutes telling them of the predicament that they're in. And then he would use 10 minutes to talk about Jesus. He would talk about the good news. He would talk about the light. And friends, I think that's a good model uh, for Schaefer's day. And I think it's very similar today. Number three, and lastly this morning, only the gospel saves. Only the gospel saves. The last part of verse 18 uh, says that um, folks may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the good news for, that men have to have. And so uh, for men, for a man who's realized uh, and he, his heart and his conscience, he's uh, through the spirit and through the word, he is under the conviction of God. Friends, he's ready for Jesus. He's ready for the light of Christ. And friends, this person then will be able to see the cross of Christ clearly. A person who has been able to see who God really is, that he's holy, righteous, and just, and that he'll judge the world through his son and who they actually are, that they have broken God's good law, that they have not done what God actually made us to do, that we have failed at that, that we have lived a life of rebellion against our good and loving king, and we have been traitors uh, guilty of what R.C. Sproul would call cosmic treason. Treason is a high, high standard, right? It's worthy of death. You're a, a violator. Somebody who commits treason is worthy of death. And friends, that is what we are. People who have realized that are ready for the power of the cross. And in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Friends, if we are to declare the gospel, we must be declaring Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Friends, if you're not talking about the cross and the resurrection, if you're not talking about the perfect life of Christ, if you're not talking about these things, friends, don't miss it. You're not talking about the good news. You're not going to see anyone go from uh, darkness to light. Friends, there's a lot of things, I think, especially in the current culture. There's a lot of things to talk about. But if we are not talking about Jesus, make no mistake, we are not talking about the gospel. And friends, that is the, world, the word that the world needs. Now, uh, in First Peter 3... 18, we read this. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, get this, the righteous for the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. How can the righteous suffer for the sins of the unrighteous? Friends, there's no story like that. There's nothing to match the glory of the gospel. There's, there's nothing that hails even being compared to it. Friends, that is the news that we are taking. It is scandalous. It is glorious. It is Jesus in the place of sinners. And sinners who understand their predicament are thirsty to hear it. Friends, 
on that basis, the basis of Christ in our place on the cross and his resurrection for our justification, that is the basis that God offers full forgiveness to any, all those who turn to faith in him. He is the just and the justifier. He can completely wash us clean. He can pay the price for every sin that we've committed if we turn to him in faith. And he can ultimately clear our record and write us with God. Only he can bring us back to God. Only he can set the world right. And make no mistake, this is the, the, world, the news that the world needs. Friends, lastly, application points this morning. Look, preach the gospel to yourself. Yes, the world needs it, but friend, don't miss that you need it. Friend, you need the gospel. The more familiar you are with the gospel, the more that you're actually saturating yourself in the gospel, the more easier it's going to be for you to share the gospel, to talk about the gospel with people. There are things, tools, and, and outlines, and tracks, and things that you can use to help you with that, but none of it will replace your preaching of the gospel, your dependence on the gospel yourself. Number two, know the Bible. Know the Bible. Friend, outside of God's word, there's nothing true. <laughs> there's nothing true. If we're to confront the world with truth, then we must know the Bible. There's no substitute for that. Friend, that's part of the reason why we must be in the word and so that we're equipped to deal with anything. We, we are to have an answer for anyone who asks. And then lastly, declare as much gospel to as many people as possible. Um, I, we did talk about you can plant a seed here, you can water. Maybe you're the harvest. Maybe you're harvesting someone else's uh, seed. The reality is, in every opportunity that you get, give as much gospel as you can. <laughs> uh, I think there's been uh, a movement to kind of try to make things as concise as possible. You know, we, we want to get the minimum amount of, of uh, information to people. I think that's a mistake often. Uh, we, why would we want that? We want to get as much truth to people as we can. Uh, and of course, use wisdom in that, but get as much as much as you can. Get as much gospel to as many people as you can. Friend, if we do that, God will save sinners. He will work through you. 